Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Mind Body Musings podcast, or welcome, welcome, welcome if it's your first time to join us. Today, we are going to be speaking about a very big topic, pornography addiction with Greg Woodhill. Greg, MFT CSAT, is a licensed psychotherapist who has spent thousands of hours directly helping sex and porn addicts recover from their addictions. He strongly believes that true psychological and emotional growth can only occur in safe environments, which he provides for his clients through long-term therapeutic work. He holds a master's degree from the University of Santa Monica, where he developed his personal therapeutic style of empathic listening, exploring early childhood trauma, and encouraging personal responsibility. He is a certified sex addiction therapist and has spent five years working at the Center for Healthy Sex in Los Angeles under the mentorship of Alexandra Kate Hawkes. He is passionate about the topic of addiction in all shapes and sizes, and he loves working with addicts to help them recover their passion and strength so that they can create true intimacy in their lives. I have had my own connotations and misconceptions and misunderstandings of porn addiction. Truly, I thought it was much different than what it actually is, and I thought the root of it and why people get addicted to pornography is very different from the typical reasons why people get addicted. Um, And so I'm so glad that I brought Greg on to the podcast because knowing my audience and how many of you are out there, the chances are very, very high that either you have a brother, husband, boyfriend, son, someone in your life that has watched porn and maybe even struggled with porn and taking it too far. So this is a great episode if you yourself are wanting to create more understanding and love and compassion for this addiction. And if you want to pass this on to someone else who's been affected by it, I highly suggest this. Greg is very compassionate, very understanding, and he truly wants to hold space for the people who are partners to those who have porn addictions and, of course, the people who are actually struggling with addiction. So listen to this episode, and and as you can probably guess already, this is a controversial, deep podcast. And so if you have any little ears around, I highly suggest popping in those headphones because we get deep into this topic and we don't really hold back. And I love, love, love that you want to be listening to this. And I know a lot of you like to listen to the podcast with your family, but this might be one where you want to put in those headphones or listen to it when it's only you in the car. Okay. So today's show sponsor is Audible. If you want to check out one of the books that I have mentioned on the podcast or one of the books from the 100 plus top favorite Maddie Moon books, free gift that I provide on my website, you can go to audibletrial.com slash mindbodymusings and get a free audiobook and 30 days free to try out Audible. And if you want to apply for one of my upcoming retreats, go to maddiemoon.com slash events, fill out the application and I will get right back to you. At our retreats, we do mala making, we have a cacao ceremony, we have gong and sound healing, we do feminine and masculine work and workshops and embodiment practices. We have amazing food. We cozy up in the mountains of Boulder, Colorado. Maybe it's snowing. Maybe it's a bright day. Maybe it's misty and foggy. It is always so magical at the house that we have our retreats at. But above all, sisterhood is formed. Best friends are formed. 
If you want to learn more about that, go to the podcast episode I recorded quite recently with Rachel and Rachel, and you can hear about their best friendship that was formed at my very first retreat. And I kid you not, it happens ever since at every single retreat. Every retreat, either people become best friends, they do travels around the world together, they maybe just might have Skype calls every single week, but I see best friends formed at every single retreat. So if you feel like you are a sensitive feminine creature and you do not want to be doing this life alone and you want to have sisterhood and love and you want to get back in touch with your spirituality through making malas and drinking cacao and eating delicious food and doing workshops with like-minded lovely ladies. Oh, and how can I forget acro yoga? That's one of the main things we do is acro yoga, partner yoga and Thai massage. Oh, even more good things. If you would like to join us, go to maddiemoon.com slash events and apply. Even if you cannot make it to the May one, I will most likely be having one this fall. So you might as well go ahead and get on that wait list. All right. That's all I want to share. Let's go head on over to this episode with Greg Woodhill and learn everything we can about porn addiction. Welcome back to the Mind Body Musings podcast. We are here with Greg, and this is such a treat. If anyone has been following along the Trusting Our Men Again series that I have shared several times, the one that I did with Nadia Munlo, where we go deep into how can we trust our men again after the Me Too movement and all of these stories coming out, how do we bridge the trust between both of us and create this divine union. Well, if you have been following along over there, then you're probably familiar with Greg. And if you have not been listening to the series, you're going to love this episode either way, of course, but we're going to go deep into a very new topic for this show, something that in the five years I've been running this, we've never talked about, which is surprising to me because it's such a fascinating, uh, complex, and I'm sure triggering for some people conversation, and that is around porn. So before we go into that, I just want to give a warm welcome to you, Greg. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Maddie. I'm really happy to be here. Yes, it's this is beautiful, and it's so wonderful that I was connected with you by several different people that we have mm. as mutual friends. And someone on my Facebook was like, "You got to get Greg on this series," and then someone <laughs> else was like, "Oh my gosh, I so vouch for Greg. You got to get him on that series." <laughs> and so um, I didn't get to speak with you in the series. Nadia did by herself. Mm -hmm. So here you are on my show. I'm so excited about it. And me too. Um, yeah, I'm just looking forward to picking your brain about all of these different complexities. Of I'm so happy we have a chance to talk about it. <laughs> so before we do go there though, um, my first question for you, and I ask this to all my guests is what are you currently musing about in life? Mm. The new healthy masculinity. That's my thing. Basically I have been sitting with for many years as a clinician and as a, a man on this planet, how conditioned many, I'd say most men have been to 
not feel their emotions, their vulnerable emotions like sadness, hurt, shame, and being able to communicate that with other people to be able to feel it and to be able to talk about it. So that's really been big for me and what I'm talking about, what I'm writing about, what I'm recording about and feeling a lot about is the new masculinity that I think is on the rise of men knowing that we can also have and show our feelings and accept ourselves and love ourselves a hundred percent in the midst of that. So powerful. And I'm sure that's in so many ways relates to the work that you do and the repression of emotions and vulnerability and the coping mechanisms that people turn to when they don't feel safe for that. So I love hearing this and I love that you call it the new masculine. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. so profound because we're in the midst of that new masculine being born. Yes. And the old masculine, in my opinion, is getting very stale. Yeah. It's not working. Nope. It's not working. It's not working for (laughs) anybody. That's right. So what, what initially drew you into this field of work? Well, I, I got licensed as a psychotherapist, or I should back up actually, even before I was licensed and I was an intern, I've always been so interested in the world of pornography and the effect it has on men. I've known through reading, through studying, and then through, of course, just people I've known throughout my life. It just became so interesting to me what profound effect the hooks I saw that porn had on a lot of men's brains. And so I, as an intern, thought I would like to treat this. I'd like to talk to people about this. I'd like to learn more about it. And I actually got into the world of treating all kinds of sexual compulsivity and addiction. And my entire, most of my internship as a therapist was in that field. And I had this amazing mentor and leader who is a woman in Los Angeles. She owns her own center. Her name's Alex Katahakis. And every page I turned, every sentence I heard from clients, every time I discussed anything in supervision, I just got more and more interested in the the dark and secretive world of men, because I know mostly about men because that's who shows up in my office over the years. And so I've heard 99% anecdotes from men about pornography addiction, um, and maybe 1% from women. So it tends to be where my expertise lies in with men. And I just got so excited about how much freedom existed when men that I met and worked with would tackle this and bring it into the light of day and allow someone else to go on that journey with them of healing. So the more I did it, the more interesting, uh, interested I became in it. And it remains that way to this day. So could you give us some... I'm not normally a stat girl, but Mm -hmm. I'm really interested in stats around this. And you said that you work primarily with men because those are the people that are coming in and drawn to you. Do you have anything interesting you could share with us about the age that all of this gets started or any kind Mm -hmm. of percentages that may give us a better idea of how um, vast this could potentially be or how young people are getting started with this? 
Yes. Like you, I'm also not a stat person. However, I go by the thousands of hours I've spent talking to people about this. And I do have, I don't have numbers on what percentage of people are watching porn. You use the word vast a few minutes ago. And I think that's it. Uh, it's hard to find a man who doesn't watch porn. And I should say in the conversations I've had, I rarely talk to somebody who porn is not a part of their life at all. The number that stands out in my head as far as men in their 20s talking about their first exposure to high-speed internet porn, which is, of course, that's the modality. That's, that's how porn exists today. And that's not always been the case, is about 12 years old. Wow. There was, which, which, um, I have the same reaction as you that scares the hell out of me. There was a study two years ago in Australia of about a thousand people. And the median age for the boys was 13 years old. And for the girls, 16 years old about their first exposure to internet pornography. That being said, there's this magic number that shows up in my office of 12 years old, even for Men I talked to who did not, of course, they're old enough that there was no such thing as the internet when they were 12 years old. But 12 seems to be that magic number where men that I meet say, men who have problems with pornography today say that that's when they had their first exposure. And to me, that's a scary thing. Our brain, in my opinion, is not ready to handle what's in internet pornography at 12 years old. Wow. That's so incredibly young. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is kind of, um, I was debating on sharing this because it almost feels irrelevant, but I'm mm-hmm. all about sharing, sharing, sharing on this show. Yeah. So first time I watched porn was last year. I'm 27 okay. years old mm-hmm. and I was raised in a very, um, conservative household Christian and pornography was actually something that was talked about a bit because oh. my dad was involved in the church's, um, healthy man's, I don't want to call it Sunday school, but like, um, auditorium or something like that. Like he would do talks and stuff. So Mm. he would talk to men about, I think the way he phrased it was bouncing away, like bouncing away, bouncing away your eyes or something like that from pornography. So Mm. I always grew up with it just being like, a terrible, terrible thing that severed your connection to God, severed your connection to relationship. And so it was the total opposite extreme so that there's, there's extreme ends. There's like one where it's open, like, yes, it's fine. It's healthy. It's this, it's that. And then there's the other end of it's, it's like the biggest evil of the world. And, you know, and there's like probably a middle ground, um, Maybe yes. I, I have no idea. Yeah. Um, well, I have a couple of thoughts and, and a question is it's, it's, I'm shocked that you went as long as you did without, I mean, avoiding it. I wonder how did you not see it before that? Yeah. Well, I mean, because it's so, pre, it, it's, um, <laughs> in this day and age with marketing, it can be invasive. It can pop up mm-hmm. whether or not we've asked for it, but, mm-hmm. uh, that's really amazing to me. You know, something that you just said, Maddie, that I, I think I want to speak to is that I personally, I take no moral, ethical, or religious stance on porn whatsoever. I, I don't think people should or shouldn't watch it. I don't think it's evil or bad or sinful, nor do I think it's perfect or great. I think everybody has such a unique relationship with porn, my 
heart and my brain and my soul really go out to the abuses within porn and the abuses that are created in real life because of porn. Because in my opinion, porn has a very, can have a very dehumanizing effect. So it's made by men for men in general. I think I just described 98, 99% of porn. And it is really focused around, in general, male pleasure. Now, there's porn, of course, that defies that. But I don't think – I don't stand on the sidewalk saying, hey, if you watch porn, you need to come see me so I can help you stop. I don't think anybody needs to stop porn uh, as far as seeing a therapist unless they believe or see that it's creating problems in their life. The other thing is that what you just described as far as the religious messaging around porn certainly gives a lot of people shame around wanting to watch porn or watching it at all. So that if they're watching it, they have a message that says, because I'm watching this, I'm bad, I'm wrong, I'm evil. And I'm sad for that too, that people, it, it is because of that, in many cases, a very secretive thing that they're afraid to share because of the judgment that's been put on sexuality as a whole, but certainly on them as a human being, if they watch porn, does that make sense? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. And I really want to get into this conversation around the, um, dehumanizing and some of the misconceptions that we have around porn addiction. And, um, to answer your question from before, because I do mm. want to touch on this, I, I was very much a follow the rules kind of person. And because I knew that was it was just, I don't know. It was almost like just because I knew it was wrong and it wasn't something God loved. I was just automatically was like, won't do it. Won't do it. Won't do it. Yes. And I had such a off, like weird relationship with my own body, um, and sexuality that it just wasn't mm -hmm. even tempting because sex was something that I wasn't actually even comfortable with until probably five years ago when I worked through a lot of my own sexual shame. Yeah. And so that was, not even appealing to me because I already had so much odd reactions and emotions towards my own body. I didn't want to see another person's body naked. I understand. Of course. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, what and, you're saying, go ahead, Maddie. Well, I just wanted to add just because, um, I, I wasn't, and I know this isn't for you. This is just for my audience and anyone listening to this. Um, what my dad was doing came from such a good place in his heart and like a, a love for men and a love for helping them create healthy relationships with their wives. Yes. And so I do appreciate what he did. And like, I trust my dad with a lot that he believes in. And I wasn't in those rooms cause I'm a girl and they were just for boys, but <laughs> I, I'm sure that the, what, that what he was doing was really coming from a healthy place. But I also absolutely completely agree around the shame pieces. And this can be said for so many different areas of sure. religion. But, and I um, agree with you wholeheartedly. I guarantee that his intention was loving and positive. No question. And I think he probably did a lot of good as well. Mm -hmm. A lot of good. Be, well, and that is as far as relational, <laughs> the effects it has on relationships, I think is something we will talk about today. And, you know, this conversation that you and I are having right now is a big piece of what I think is missing in pop culture and in relationships, which is open, honest communication mm -hmm. about porn. Mm -hmm. I don't think with a lot of compassion and understanding, 
it is something that I hear a lot of people talk about. Uh, they'll talk about their porn use or addiction or, or different things like that, fantasies or fetishes. And then when the question, when I'll ask, how much of this do you talk to your partner about? It's almost a laughable question because they say none. Why would I talk to my partner about porn? That's what I do yeah. by myself. And that is such a big piece of someone's sexuality that is being cornered off. And I think that a conversation exactly like what you were sharing, these types of things are what we need to be doing. And I think that's a very healing avenue that couples can go down in a big way. Okay. So when we, when you and I talked a few months ago, we just mm -hmm. talked a little bit about, um, why men in particular go to porn. And you, you said something to me and I wrote this down and I want to dive into this deeper. You said that the porn is choosing them <laughs> and, and they're, they are having their pain be sexualized. Yeah. This is a huge misconception to me. Even when I first heard you say that, I was like, what? The porn is choosing them. They're sexualizing their pain. What does all this mean? Yeah. So could you share a bit on, on this? Yeah. Cause I just think it's going to really open up some understanding for a lot of people. Great. Uh, thank you for asking that. You know, first of all, there is an upside to porn. It can be educating, it can be exciting, it can build confidence, it can be shame reducing. So mm. someone who thinks, oh, sex is bad, or my fetish is sick or bad or wrong, or my orientation is wrong because people say that the people that I want to have sex with is different than who I should. And porn can be very normalizing to a lot of those things. So also the fact is like, well, wait a minute, some people are taught that masturbation is bad and they realize, wait, this is created for people to masturbate. So I'm not alone. I'm, I'm amongst a, a, a large group of people. So porn has an upside uh, and even a big upside and it can be sexy. It can be fun. It can also be soothing like chocolate or ice cream can be if we're having emotions we want to distract from. Those are good things. Now, the, de the, the dark side of it, we all have unresolved issues, vastly different from one another, but people, and, and for this moment, I'm going to talk about men if that's okay, but this is definitely because that's yeah. been my experience clinically, but this applies to all genders. We have shame, hurt. We, many people have had abuse in their lives and we have a ton of anger that sometimes doesn't get expressed in a healthy way. And by healthy, I think I mean in an environment where we are met with love and compassion and we can express it, express the words, the feelings, the hurt, the shame, and have somebody just hear us, hold us energetically and be loving in response to it. So in the absence of that, people will watch porn and they will find themselves drawn to a specific type of thing. And that's been one of the joys of my career of working with men who have, and I work just to be clear with mostly with men who have porn addiction. They come in the door, not saying I watch porn once and I need you to help me, but more saying I can't stop and it's ruining my life, which to me is addiction in a nutshell. It's hurting my relationship. It's hurting my sense of self. It's hurting my school or my work or my freedom legally. And I can't stop doing it. That's when I say, okay, let's go. Let's talk. So one of the joys of, of being able to work with people with this addiction is 
asking them why the type of porn you like. Why do you choose the type of porn you do? And what, what I find quite a bit is people gravitate toward porn where they're trying to help themselves work through unresolved emotional, mental material from the past, but they don't realize they're doing it. So here's an example. Some, a lot of people, I guess, watch pornography where there's a, a lot of dominance, where there can be humiliation, where there can be a type of sexual ownership over another person and a degradation. Why that type of porn? If I ask a client and a lot of times their immediate answer is, Oh, I don't know. It's just hot. So what I ask my clients is the following question. It's a magical question because it's not possible, but if we could remove the sexual arousal from your fantasy in watching this pornography, what feelings would you be feeling under the surface? That question stops them in their tracks quite a bit because when they're horny or they just want to watch the type of porn they want to watch because they want to have the you know, sexual experience, that is front and center. That sexual drive is driving the bus in that moment. What they're not aware of is what's happening under the surface. Am I angry at women? Do I feel inadequate? Do I have shame around not being this or that? Did I feel rejected by the people that I wanted to have sex with when I was an adolescent, they might be asking. And because of that, I want to see those type of people being owned and dominated mm -hmm. in a way that I couldn't do. So in their mind and in their fantasy, they're living out this unfulfilled need to feel powerful, to feel big, to feel adequate, to be the one chosen. And inherent in a lot of the pornography that exists today, it's like there's a, a through line of fuck you to the person that to in usually in heterosexual porn, it's to the woman. I'm bigger than you. I'm more powerful than you. And the porn stars have evolved to making it seem that that is what they crave as well. The female porn stars that, that being dominated, humiliated, owned, so to speak, is what they get off on. And so unfortunately, it's a loop. So men, let's say, who, are, who have undealt un with uh, feelings or unmet needs around, like I said earlier, around inadequacy and shame, they're watching it and they're turned on through porn without realizing that those emotions are driving their fantasy. So what that does is it keeps it secretive. It keeps it in a feedback loop where it festers and it grows. Now, here's the opposite. Someone walks into my office. They say, this is how I feel. I feel inadequate. I feel less than women. I always felt rejected. I feel ashamed. We talk about it. There's different, a bunch of healing modalities we can do about it. They get a release. They get to be in a container of loving and compassion. And that is the University of Santa Monica says that healing is the application of love to the places inside that hurt. And I think that's one of the truest things I've ever heard. The application of love to the places inside that hurt. So if we don't know where it's hurting on the inside, then how do we get love to those places? So it's masked in these sexual fantasies where they're just feeding that wolf inside of their head. 
that feels ashamed, that feels inadequate, that has an anger toward, let's say, toward women, instead of realizing, oh, wait, there's pain here and I can actually deal with that pain. Mm. Wow. Wow. So why sexualize it? Why sexualize that pain rather than numb it? Yeah. With alcohol or with drugs or with mm-hmm. shoplifting. Yeah. Or with uh, with feeling a heightened emotion like anger. Why sure. is it that you find men are s- sexualizing this pain that they have? Yeah. Men find an outlet for it either before adolescence or during adolescence that gives them what they feel is some sort of expression of those feelings, even though they're not expressing it. So some people, and I've heard you talk about this on your show before, they find that through food, Mm. through a binging or the restriction of food. We know some people find it through exercise, as you said, uh, also just now alcohol or drugs. Some people find that that is the outlet that they first had at very crucial times in our development. And that over feeding that wolf, feeding that neural pathway over time, it makes it stronger and stronger. And then it just becomes their go-to place for that, for those feelings. And more, that's the most important thing I can say here is without their awareness that they're doing it. So somebody who's 15 or 16 years old, I don't know back, this dates me, but back when I was in high school, Andrew Dice Clay was an unbelievably famous comedian in pop culture. And his entire shtick, entire bit was humiliating women, sexualizing, objectifying women and kind of owning and and really in every way putting women down. Almost every boy I knew in high school loved this because to them it was like they could grab onto some sort of outlet or so it felt for these feelings that they had because they wanted to be sexual, they wanted to understand, they wanted to be powerful over women. Mm -hmm. And this guy gave that a voice as unhealthy as that was, this was, so that was a way they found it through sexualized humor. And in that same age range, we find, we grab onto something that feels right, even if it's hurtful, even if it's dark to us. And I think that's how it develops in these very crucial stages where we're trying to figure out who we are sexually at a time where we're also dealing with a lot of shame and inadequacy. And I want to add from your question It is also numbing and distracting because it's allowing them to focus on a sexual expression rather than sitting with their feelings. So by the way, it's like a two in one, two things that you don't want, but it's happening simultaneously. So I saw, I've seen a couple video series or, and documentary type of things where somebody who is deeply addicted to pornography will see something out in the world, a billboard or a person or someone who they're very attracted to. And it's this pathological need to then masturbate or go watch pornography because something is being stirred up in them that they need to get rid of or distract themselves from. So they are actually numbing and distracting, but Mm -hmm. at the same time, those feelings are being fed, but they're being fed poison in my opinion. Mm Mm-hmm. 
it's very similar now that I think of it in this way to uh, an eating disorder or an exercise addiction, because for, in my own experiences, whenever I would be obsessive about counting calories or food or working out Mm. or losing weight, I always did. It was control. Control is the first word that comes up for me, but with control, there is the feeling of power. I am looking a certain way. Therefore I get my pick of the men or therefore I have full reins over my life. Whatever it is that I feel, if I'm thin, I am loved. I am beautiful. I will have a boyfriend. I will have safety, comfort, everything, whatever it it's control, but it is a feeling of power. Yes, that's right. It makes a lot of sense. Yes. And and I say this to a lot of the the men that I've worked with is if you want to be completely in control of your sexual experience, keep watching porn. If that's all you want, of course, I'm saying this, you know, as a, (laughs) that if that's all that matters to you, porn's your thing. If what you want instead is something that's in any way relational, in any way intimate, that involves another human being and you not being in 100% control, then porn's not your thing. Mm. It's exactly like what you were just saying, that Mm. when we are in the room with another partner or partners at the same time, our brain and our body know that we are in the room with another human being. We don't get it our way. We don't get to skip to the part of the video or the picture or the type or whatever, or not see the type of body parts we don't like, but freeze on the body parts we do like that we are in control. And that is the fallacy where (laughs) I've heard a lot of young men say, well, porn helps me be a better lover. And in a way up to a certain point, that's true. You learn things, you see things. And in a much more vast way. It's not true because it is training you for a sexual experience that is isolated, that is totally in control and where no one's watching you. Porn never said you didn't give me an orgasm to anybody. Porn never said your penis isn't big enough or too big. Porn never said you're doing it wrong or I don't like the way you did it. Or porn doesn't say that to you. Just like chocolate never called anybody fat. It's it's, it's a one person system where we don't have to be vulnerable by being in the room with another person. And by the way, intimate in-person connected, connected sex can be off the walls. It can be visceral and fun. It can be crazy. It can be hot. It can be sweaty. It doesn't have to be boring or making love or any of the things that people say, yeah, but my, you know, I want to have more fun with my sex life. Yeah. So as long as porn is helping someone develop something that they then can take into the bedroom or anywhere with another human being, then I say, go for it. Yeah. Cause what I'm putting the pieces together when I'm hearing you speak is all around, there is this lack of rejection whenever you're watching porn, there's no yep. possibility for rejection. It's safe. And, and that right. also brings a lot of the power and wow, it's something else that I always assumed, I suppose, was that people who watched a lot of porn or were porn addicts loved sex. They were like <laughs> all about sex, 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 sex. Like they want sex yep. all the time. 
Yep. And when I spoke with you earlier, like you, you really, you, you said something that really just, oh my gosh, like I didn't even think about that, that people who are doing, who have porn addictions are normally some of the people who are the least comfortable with sex and yes. they don't want to be having sex. Or sometimes, um, as I was raised hearing, like, um, don't watch porn because then you, you actually cannot ever have a relationship with someone that is, um, like sexually satisfying, like you can, mm-hmm. and yeah. I'm sure of course you, you can, but what you're saying here, it sounds like it's very true that people in relationship and this can maybe glide us into the topic of relationship because I definitely want yes. to talk about that, yes. but in relationship, your sex life can really, really suffer because those who are addicted may not be able to actually get, get it on whenever all they can think about is these, and maybe I'm, I'm off here a little bit, but I imagine that when you're so used to seeing extreme things in sex as well, like extreme acts in sex or like crazy things, things that may not really happen in real life, maybe you don't get hard whenever you don't see those things sure. anymore, or there's like the nerves coming into play. Cause you're actually having to have real sex and you have the possibility of rejection. And yep. so that then ripples off into an insecurity in the woman because he's not getting excited with you. He doesn't seem yep. like he's into it and he's really afraid actually. You are a hundred percent correct. Uh, everything you said is spot on actually. And so th- in porn addiction, here's a heartbreaking thing. The partner of a porn addict, most of the time, unless there's some kind of a discovery where let's say in a heterosexual relationship and it's, it's a man watching porn, she catches him watching it or catches him over and over again or sees a browser history. Most of the time, the partner of a porn addict doesn't know that they're with a porn addict. So the things you mentioned are 100% right. I have talked to many men who have suffered erectile dysfunction when they're with a live partner. So there's nothing wrong with them physically. A urologist would say, you're, you're fine, nothing wrong down there. But when they're with a human partner, They don't get erect like they did before, or even if porn has been there their whole life at all, because their brain has been wired around their sexual nature being isolated, secretive, and with a two-dimensional screen where they're in control. So a lot of porn addicts have delayed ejaculation. They're having sex and they just can't have an orgasm because they've been desensitized mentally and physically to it. They want sex less in real life. Their libido is lower. And this is a a cliche because it's said so often for porn addicts is that when they have sex, many of them, not all, say they need to fantasize about something else like porn in order to have an orgasm when they're having sex with their partner, a partner they might be very attracted to, but they've become so conditioned to an experience with porn and that real life sex does suffer. Now imagine for a moment, you're that partner. How does that feel? If your lover, let's say your spouse even suddenly or over time doesn't want to have sex with you as much, isn't that sexually responsive? Seems to have a hard time or be distracted during sex. A lot of partners of porn addicts, they take it out on themselves they feel unattractive. They try to change how they look or how sexy they are because what they're perceiving in their partner is a lack of sexual interest in them. And that hurts. And unfortunately, like I said earlier, because it's not being talked about, 
because their spouse isn't saying, honey, I'm sorry, I watched porn twice today. I'm just not up for sex tonight. All they get is the I have a headache type of thing over and over again. And so it really crushes the self-esteem of a partner who doesn't realize why their sex life has really gone off track and why they don't feel desirable to their partner. That's heartbreaking. And because it's not being talked about, that partner takes it on themselves. So all of the things you listed absolutely happen. And, and there's a lot of healing involved if and when a, a person addicted to pornography says, I need help and, or they, you know, they decide they need to change, the partner needs help too. Because they've taken on a lot of what they didn't even realize was happening on their own self-esteem. So I I relate to a lot of that right there. Um, Because I was with my first real sexual experience with someone, um, which lasted for a year, this exact scenario happened. And so my first introduction to sex was, I'm not enough. I don't yes. make my partner happy. I, something's wrong with me. Literally. Like he would run out of the room when I don't even have clothes on and leave, leave, leave. <laughs> like mm. it was a really, really hard thing for me because sure. I thought my body was freaky and yes. something was wrong with it. And that's why it took me so long to really come to love my body and appreciate sex and enjoy sex because I, I had that as my initial introduction and I just so feel for everyone that's experienced that as both sides now, and especially, um, I mean, in both, both sides, but being the partner, what can you do? What can you do when you're, because you're already in your own head, you're already, you're having your own worries now and concerns. And I'm sure it's very challenging for committed long-term partners to not get too absorbed in their own experience and also be there for their addicted partner. Yes. Well, are you wondering what they do before they know there's a problem or after Ooh, or both? Both. Yeah, both. <laughs> okay. Give me, give uh, b- <laughs> before they yes. have to ask, they have to ask. Mm. Now, if I'm addicted to anything and my partner says, Hey, are you doing this when I'm not around? What's my answer going to be? No. no. <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, gaslighting is a term. I don't know how, how, informed your listeners are on this term, but it's when basically when we're trying to deflect attention off of ourself, so we point the finger back at our partner and make them think it's their fault. This is happening a lot in politics these days, by the way, where if, if I'm a partner and let's say you are hiding something and I can feel way you're not answering your phone, you're out late at night, you come home with weird this or that, you know, uh, perfume on you. And I say, are you cheating or are you lying to me? Then uh, an addicted partner can say in order to gaslight, you're crazy. Mm -hmm. You are so jealous. Like you need therapy. You're sick. Mm -hmm. And as long as they can do that, they do their best to keep the bullseye off of themselves. So the best a partner can do is ask in, (laughs) and this takes a lot to be very compassionate toward the the partner that they're asking it to. Because in the meantime, like you said, they're suffering self-esteem, they're suffering issues inside of themselves. So to really in an open hearted way say, what is it that's going on here? Or I feel really sad. I feel really neglected here. And I'm wondering if there's something that we're not talking about. Um, 
that's really all they can do. I would not advocate for any partner to become hyper vigilant, like a, a police officer to be checking the phone and checking the. If your partner is lying to you because they're addicted, I got to say that's on your partner, not you. So the best you can do is try to engage them in a conversation and hope that over time things come out. This is, and like I said, that's a lot to ask of somebody. Let's say wife, husband for a moment. That's a lot to ask of a wife while you're feeling neglected, while you're feeling ashamed and inadequate, you go to your partner with an open heart, ask if there's anything he wants to share with you. That's hard. And it's also one of the only ways to even start that conversation. What happens sometimes is that an addicted, let's say an addicted husband will admit to a sliver of what's really happening. He might say, well, I'm watching porn. Yeah, I'm watching porn from time to time. And in an open, compassionate, ongoing conversation, my hope is that an addict can be more and more honest with themselves and with their partner. Now, if there's been a discovery a partner needs their own help and healing, in my opinion, the partner of an addict. When someone goes into treatment for sex addiction or porn addiction, one of the biggest problems that happens is that everybody rallies around the addict. Now, that is necessary. I think that's great. However, the partner ends up feeling, hold on, I'm the one that's been wronged. Let's say if there's been infidelity or lies, I'm the one that's been wronged. Why is everybody lifting my husband up on their shoulders? Nobody's taking care of me. I'm still traumatized. Mm. I'm still the, the aggrieved, betrayed partner. Why is everybody hugging him? And that's why I'm an enormous advocate for anyone in the shoes of like what we're talking about, a partner of a, of a porn addict, let's say, to take care of him or herself and get their own help. Now, I don't know if that's therapy. I'm biased. I'm a therapist. I think that can be really, really healing. Coaching, reading, be careful what you Google anytime because you're going to come up with things. It's, you know, every time I, I have an itch on my leg and I Google it, it's like I'm dying uh, or I have cancer. So we have to, you know, be really careful. But finding resources and let me give, can I give a few resources right please, now for that, please, Maddie? Please, please, yeah. If you or your partner are experiencing any kind of porn or sex-related addiction, there's a website called sexandrelationshiphealing.com sexandrelationshiphealing.com. I am not affiliated with this website whatsoever, but it has a lot of resources for addicts and for partners of any kind of sexually based addiction. There, there is a website called pornaddicthubby.com. And that is a resource for partners who are saying, wait, something feels off. Can I take, um, you know, a self test? Can I give my partner a self test so that we can start to address what's happening, hopefully, and get some sort of help? There are also tw uh, there's there's a a group called ITAP, and their website is i i t a p dot com. Two eyes, i i t a p dot com. And there's a search for a therapist directory, and there is a community called Certified Sex Addiction Therapists. I'm in that community. And you can search geographically where you are, and if necessary, for yourself, if you're a partner, or for the addict, a therapist who has been trained in dealing with all of this. So at the very least, you're walking in the room talking to somebody who understands this issue and can, I mean, 
therapists are people too, and you're going to have chemistry, better chemistry, worse chemistry with therapists. But at the very least, you're going to find a therapist who isn't going to say, oh God, I don't know anything about porn or porn addiction. I need to refer you out. This is somebody who is ready for that question. So those are some online resources that I think can be really helpful to both addicts and partners. Mm, thank you for sharing those. I was, I'm so glad that you, you said all of that. Um, I will make sure that I have the links to those on the show notes for this as well. So anyone can yeah. just go ahead over there. Um, I, I'm having a question come up around, how do I put it? I mean, what, what's coming up for me is around boundaries because there, this is such a gray space and I'm sure it cannot be healed through. If you don't change, then I'm walking out the door. Mm -hmm. So for partners, and this might be a personal boundary because we don't also want to re-traumatize ourselves over and over and over again. Like if trying to make a move on your partner who has a porn addiction isn't working, you don't probably want to keep trying to do that and force yourself on him yeah. in this healing. And I'm just making that example up. I'm sure there's many sure. different things. So in your experience of working with couples and in hearing the partner side, have you ever come to help someone create their own personal boundary around this? Like, um, like a container. Okay. So for the next 30 days, I'm just going to give my partner unconditional love for exactly how he is. And in 30 days, I'll reevaluate my own feelings around this relationship. Mm. Anything like that? Cause I'm just trying to wonder how do you sit in this space of uncertainty and you have therapy and you're moving towards it, but maybe some sort of structure for yourself of knowing and being clear on what feels good, what feels good for now, what can I sit with, what can I work with, and what can I not? What is too far? What is too painful for me? What is actually re-traumatizing me as a partner? Yes. Your question is really important. For, and as you said, the answer is as individual as there are people, but there are huge guidelines, I think, that apply. First of all, you were talking about this in one of your previous podcasts. There are people who believe in a hardline, binary, black or white definition of addiction and sobriety. There are a lot of people who don't believe in that. So what I see in the porn addicts that I have treated is that they need a sober lifestyle from their quote unquote drug of choice, their sexual drug of choice, which let's say in this case is pornography. If just like an alcoholic takes one sip of alcohol, and as I've heard over and over again, is just off to the races, their addiction is in full from one sip, that a porn addict who watches, a, who looks at a picture or sees a, a pornographic picture or sees, you know, five seconds of pornography is off to the races and right back in their addiction. So the vast majority of men I've worked with who are who self-identify as porn addicts and seek treatment for it, they need to be sober from their bottom line behavior and that's watching porn. As a partner, I think we all know one thing addicts hate are boundaries. And so my answer to your question is that a partner needs to ask him or herself, can I live in this relationship if my partner is in and out of his addiction? I'm just using the male for this moment, the, his addiction. If they can, then that's one set of boundaries. 
then I would say, well, then it just needs to be a very open communication. Hey, honey, I want to uh, stay current with you. And by the way, for a lot of my clients and couples, I always recommend that they do a weekly check-in about sobriety, a weekly check-in of just facts and figures. This is how many 12-step meetings I went to this week. This is how many program calls I made. This is uh, did some step work. I met with my sponsor. I am still sober or I acted out and I'm not, and I not sober because I, let's say they watched pornography on Tuesday and that's a part of what they've defined as their addiction that they can't touch. So just that the partner is current and not worrying or thinking for weeks or months at a time, is my partner back in his addiction or not? Cause I don't know. So I would recommend for someone who is working a hard line sobriety program where porn is like their alcohol that they need to avoid, I would support a partner, the spouse or a partner saying to the addict, this is what I can live with and this is what I can't live with. Now, as we all know, setting a boundary is the easy part. I could say to you, Maddie, you have to start stop cursing at me or I'm going to leave and you curse at me 10 more times and I don't leave. Well, Mm -hmm. I've just taught you that my boundary is really uh, soft. Mm -hmm. If you curse at me again and I say, okay, I'm sorry. I told you what my boundary was. You did it. I'm going to go now. You know, I'll talk to you later. Then I've held a boundary and you now know something you've, our relationship has just grown. So for some partners, I certainly wouldn't say to a partner that they're being unreasonable if they said, in order for us to stay together, I need you to be sober from pornography. If that's what that partner needs. Another partner might say, Hey, I'm okay with it. As long as you're not doing anything outside of the house and whatever, as long as you tell me then I'm okay, but I cannot have secrets. The Gottmans are, um, a couple here in, in, in California and they're like the, the gurus on all things, couples related and communication. And they say that infidelity is anything that you purposely lie about or hide from your partner. That's a really broad definition and I love it. So they would say, if I'm eating chocolate in my car every night and lying to you about it, that's infidelity. Now, I always say the caveat, if you're buying your partner a present, right, or planning a surprise party, of course, that's not infidelity, that, and that's a secret you need to keep, and that's a great, fun secret. But aside from that, a partner might say, my boundaries, I just need to know, hon. I just need you to tell me, are you watching porn or not? And as long as you're telling me, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. I would support either one of those or anything in between because it is very individual. There are, and I have, of course, known partners of porn addicts who say, it's a hard line. If you watch porn, you're cheating on me. And that's their boundary. And I can't tell them that they're wrong. If that's their definition of infidelity, then that's unfaithful. And then the addict gets to say, okay, I want to meet you there or I can't meet you there. But I do believe in strong boundaries for partners. I can say, if I'm a partner of an addict, I can say, I love you. I really understand your pain. I want the best for you. You're my favorite person on this planet. And I will leave this relationship if you keep abusing me in the way that you do. Mm. Boundaries don't have to be angry, right? They don't, it doesn't have to be a, a tumultuous situation or a fight. It can be loving, but firm. 
And that is, here's a big thing. No partner, if you find yourself as a partner, anybody with a partner who is addicted to something, nothing you could possibly say or do is going to keep that person sober or not keep them sober. It is not your job to keep them sober. You can take care of yourself. You can be the great partner you want to be, but it is not your job. It is the addict's job to do whatever they need to do, work a program, lean on their program fellows, whatever it is, uh, therapy, healing, anything cognitive behaviorally. But the partner a lot of times says, if only I can be better looking, if only I can give more sex, be more porn ready, be more like porn, Mm. then my partner won't need porn. No, it's an apple and an orange. Porn is a sexual experience. You said earlier, a lot of times partners of porn addicts say, I can't compete with the women in porn. Now, that's not necessarily true. But what we know is they cannot compete with the experience of porn. And that's not to say that the experience of porn is better. In a ton of ways, it's worse. But it's not relational. So no, you, nobody as a sexual partner can compete with a solitary, two-dimensional, totally in control, isolated experience that is sending huge fireworks of dopamine off in the addict's brain because when the addict is in the room with a real human being, it's a completely different sexual experience. I don't want to compete with somebody's experience with porn. I want them to be in the room with me. We create a sexual lives of our own, but one of them is non-relational and the other is relational. So if there's anyone listening who feels like they're not enough in the sexual or looks or the arousal department with their partner because their partner is watching porn and you're trying to compete, it's it's not a fair shake. You're better than porn. And I suggest you stop trying to compete with it, Um, even though that is the obvious thing that comes up for any of us. We want to be, but you can't because it's a completely different experience because you're a person and you're not an image. You're not a phone in his hand. That was amazing. (laughs) That was so amazing. That was so much good insight. And especially when you were talking about, um, everyone has the right to set their own boundary and you can set a boundary with love. Yes. Firm. I think that's again and again, this keeps coming up on the show and it's just, it cannot be talked about enough because so many people are really in their feminine, which means they're really nurturing, which means they're really loving and giving like a mother. They have that mother energy, which oftentimes, if not harmonized with that boundary setting masculine warrior energy can end up feeling defeated or like a line has been crossed and it's being crossed over and over and over because we're not speaking our truth of what we need. Yes. And I'm so glad you just gave everyone permission to have their own unique boundary because what if you're in a, in some sort of support group and the couple to your left has the boundary of, I need to know the facts. That doesn't mean that that has to be your boundary. Everyone's right. boundary is going to look different. That's right. And it just, it, it made me like, ah, oh, like feel so good when you just talked about just the numbers and stats, because I'm definitely one of those people that's like, I would just want to know. I mean, I just want to know, like I, I'm not in this situation at all, but I so appreciate and love, and this has been an experience in so many other areas of relationships, but I just so love knowing the facts. Like how many times did you go to a meeting? How many times did this happen? Just give me the facts. And like that to me 
is such a breath of fresh air to have that. And for some people that may be exactly what they need. And for others, like you said, there's a hard line, it's binary and that's okay. And it is, Oh, it's just so refreshing to hear that again. And it's empowering as well. There's a way you can both feel empowered by coming to create your own agreements in the relationship. Yes. Yeah. And can I throw one more thing on, on the heels of what you just said inspires me to say, if you're having a check-in, one thing I say to both partners and addicts, don't talk about what triggered you throughout the week. I saw a billboard with so-and-so, or I was watching this movie with you and I suddenly wanted to watch porn. You don't need to, t- that's what you talk to your program people about in 12 step. You talk to your sponsor about, you talk to your friends. You can say to your partner, if let's say he, she, if she wants to know, you can say, I was triggered a few times this week and I called my sponsor. Some partners don't even want to know that. And that's fine too. But a partner can say, oh, so you lost your sobriety twice this week. I'm really hurt. I'm feeling really angry and a little betrayed. And thank you so much for telling me, right? It doesn't have to be one or the other. It doesn't have to be, I hate you or I love you. It can be, I'm having a really strong feeling. I'm really mad at you. And I'm so honored that you told me that. It's like, can I have my feelings too? You know, and same with the addict. The addict can say, okay, well, I am feeling really, um, I'm shutting, I'm feeling myself shutting down. I feel uh, really ashamed right now and a little angry back at you. Um, And there they are. That's intimacy, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. That's intimacy. There's no secrets. They're allowed to have their feelings. They don't have to be robotic, but they're being honest with each other that we have something that sometimes gets in the way of, of our relationship. And, you know, I've heard men describe more than once when they're over-consuming pornography, not if a guy watches porn once or something, but it's like over-consuming. They feel dead from the waist down. When you talked about the masculine warrior energy is what I thought about, that they feel dead sexually and they hate that. They're not, they're not trying to campaign that that's the way they should feel day to day. They don't like the way they feel, but they, just like I said about addiction, it's hurting them. It's hurting their relationship, yet they can't stop. And that's really, really heartbreaking. So can a partner have total open-hearted intimacy, I'm not, not intimacy, compassion and empathy for the addict they're with and also hold strong boundaries? You're damn right you can. Absolutely. That is something that I've been experiencing a lot over this past year is I feel sad I feel angry. I feel this and not having to go into like the details underneath why and how we can fix it. And just like sharing, this is where I'm at right now. This is where I'm at. Like, ta-da! like it doesn't make you wrong. And I think that's That's also key. That's another thing I've been like really loving recently is just realizing that, um, I read, I read, or maybe it was on a podcast actually, but it was somewhere recent. Someone said, you've never been wrong a day in your life. (laughs) And what it means is as a human, you've never been fundamentally wrong. And for people going through porn addiction, you are not wrong. That's right. You are not wrong as a human being. You are not fundamentally wrong. And it's so amazing. And so that means also when you share your feelings, like I'm sad, I'm sad you broke up with me. I'm sad that you uh, relapsed. I'm sad, blah, blah. It doesn't mean the other person's wrong. It just yeah. means I'm sad. And I hope everyone understands this because you can hear it, but like there's a, 
there's something about really truly sitting with this and just letting it marinate that you can share your feelings without making anybody else wrong for yes, it. That's right. It's so empowering. It's so. And beautiful. that's happened with me. I know in my relationships where I'll say, oh, I feel really sad about what you said, or I'm feeling, you know, really hurt, uh, uh, about that, that comment or that situation. And the person invariably, and this is okay. will say, oh no, I didn't mean it like that. Or, mm-hmm. well, no, I wasn't trying to do that. And I'll say, wait, 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 I know I felt sad. It's okay. That's my stuff. Uh, it doesn't mean I'm wrong either. It's like, I'm just telling you, I felt sad. I don't know what you need to do with it or I need to do it. I'm just telling you. So, and that also takes pressure off of the partner for like, you don't have to control my emotions. You can't possibly, but I want you to know it had effect on me. Maybe you just learned more about me than learned uh, what you should or shouldn't say or do. I'm just telling you how it felt. And the same goes in this. And one of the things that I say, as far as open hearted compassion for addicts, I say this to my, to a lot of the addicts I work with and, and, when they, when they hear it, it opens up something really big and beautiful inside of them is the intention of your addiction is positive, not the outcome, definitely not the outcome, but the intention Mm -hmm. is to make yourself feel better back when you were younger today, tomorrow, whatever it is. It's like you, there's a part in your brain that says, Hey, Sitting here with shame, hurt, boredom, sadness, or just what it feels like to quote unquote, be me in this moment. This doesn't feel so good. Come over here and I'll make you forget about that for a moment. I'll make you feel good for a moment. That's a really good intention. The problem is, of course, it's stabbing you as it's making you feel better, or there's poison in whatever it's feeding you that's making you feel better. So to have that understanding if you're an addict or a partner that the person using their drug or experience of choice is trying to feel better. Now, what they need to do is to find relational ways, whether it's relational within themselves or with other people to make themselves feel okay being in their emotions because their tolerance of being able to feel those things, it certainly grows as Mm -hmm. sobriety grows that their brain and their body say, oh, this is anxiety. This is shame. I know this. I can handle this Uh, because they're not in that loop anymore of having to soothe it every morning, every day. So for all partners, it's like, you can have compassion. Oh my God, my, my addict partner is in pain and they're trying to feel better. Um, I can still say, hell no, that I won't, I won't stay if it stays like this, but I can say, but I I really understand that you're a human and you're hurting. Mm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. This is so profoundly beautiful. Just like the, the understanding that you have in all of this and the wisdom and the insight that you're giving to all my listeners around this topic. So Greg, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, so we do have a divine deep dive round that we're going to go into real quickly. But before we go there, you have a podcast. Is it already yes. out or is it coming out? Yes, it's, it's, uh, it is out. And oh. there is a, a teaser that is uh, accessible. So let me give you the name. It's, the podcast is called A Brave New Man a brave new man. Uh, you can come follow us on Instagram at a brave new man pod P O D. And there's daily words of wisdom and there's pictures and my little rantings and ravings here and there about, um, about healthy, loving, new masculine 
energy as I'm describing it in connection and relationships and self-love and self-forgiveness. So come follow it, a brave new man pod, and then you can subscribe wherever you like to, to the podcast called the brave new man. And if anybody is looking for resources and you want to contact me for any questions or uh, some of the materials I have, some of the videos I have on my website, it's my name, gregwoodhill.com, gregwoodhill.com. Perfect. And I will have all of those links, the podcast, your Instagram, everything on the show notes for this, mattymoon.com slash Greg dash Woodhill. Okay. Divine deep dive round. So with these, it's basically quick fire. So whatever comes up for you first. Wonderful. Okay. Who would you consider to be one of your most profound teachers? The woman I mentioned before, Alex Katahakis, has been one of my most profound teachers. She was my mentor. She owns a center that treats sex addiction. And what I learned through her is how to be myself as a clinician, how to be loving and boundaried, how to not judge, but also let people know you need help and I'm here to help you with it. So mm-hmm. she taught me how to, she's a female, but I've always said she, she taught me how to have balls as a clinician. <laughs> and uh, I, she's changed my career and my life drastically. What is one must-read book? Pornland by Gail Dines, D-I-N-E-S. It's a, a deep dive into how porn has hijacked our sexuality in some of the ways we talked about. And it is a triggering book. So just know if you're going to read Pornland, it definitely talks about very visceral, very humiliating types of pornography. So if you have the stomach and the desire and the curiosity, pick it up. What do you want to be praised for more than anything? Being masculine and vulnerable. If love tasted like a flavor, what would it be and why? Chocolate. Because... Chocolate, the taste of chocolate is all encompassing and has the ability to make my entire body feel alive. Yeah, I like that. What's your favorite form of movement? Running. What is your spirit animal? An enormous grizzly bear. Um, where are we most likely going to find you on a Saturday morning? (laughs) On my couch, drinking coffee, reading a magazine. That's great, because our next question is, describe your relationship to coffee with one word. (sighs) Soothe. (laughs) Yeah. I feel that. Okay. And the last question, what is one investment you've made under $10,000 that, um, made the biggest difference in your life over the past couple of years? The main investment you've made that's changed things for you. A six CD set CDs. I'm dating myself by Wayne Dyer called there's a spiritual solution to every problem. Mm. Mm. Okay. Not the audiobook, but his live seed, live six part uh, series. It was recorded well, well over a decade ago. Maybe it's it was twenty CD? years ago. It, well, it was, uh, oh. but now it's. You can, I'm sure you get it on iTunes. It's six parts, 
a live lecture he gave 15, 20 years ago, maybe now, uh, there's a spiritual solution to every problem. Life changing. Okay. I'm going to make sure we put the link to that on here as well. Cool. That sounds great. Well, Greg, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You are so eloquent and describing <laughs> such a complex topic. Sometimes I get a little bit nervous about my own question, asking ability with, with things that are this controversial, really. Mm. So thank you for just your wonderful insight and for sharing everything from such a non-judgmental, of course, your therapist. That's what you do. You do it very well, obviously, but thank you for coming at this in such a loving, loving, way. You were the perfect guest for this. And I'm so grateful that I was introduced to you. I am so grateful that you asked me and thank you for bringing me and uh, this topic to all of your listeners. And I just love what you're doing. Thank you so much. Everyone, make sure you go to the show notes to check out his Instagram and his links and his podcast for sure. Again, that's maddiemoon.com slash Greg dash Woodhill. And let us know your thoughts. You can go on over to iTunes and leave a review. You know, I love to share those on the show. You can also go over to Instagram and comment on his photo down below. Let us know what you think or just go to my website and leave, leave a comment on the show notes. Thank you everyone for listening. As always, you are all so lovely. We hope you loved this and I'll see you next week.